Hello, I'm Deborah Howell, the host of Understanding School Refusal, a special podcast series from Rogers Behavioral Health. This is episode two of our four-part series where we'll look at some common questions around school refusal. I'd like to welcome Dr. Heather Jones, a psychologist at Rogers Behavioral Health, where she provides clinical assessments, consultation, and supervision of behavioral specialists working in the Adolescent Center for OCD and Anxiety. Such important work. Welcome, Dr. Jones. Thank you. So here we go with part two of our series. Um, my first question to you, what are some factors associated with school refusal? Four factors that I'd like to discuss today are social factors, um, educational factors, mental health factors, and then kind of a, I have an other category that it, they're fairly interrelated to the first three. So social factors, and we talked a little bit about this in uh, part one, but things like bullying, um, the impact of social media, um, substance use, certainly in our adolescence, is um, socially related. So it's pretty uh, obvious, I suppose, that when I'm um, at school and have problems with bullying, uh, it's going to create an undesirable situation and I'm going to want to avoid that, right? And that makes sense thinking back to the days when we were in school and maybe we had a a bully or a, you know, a, a friend uh, situation that didn't go exactly how we wanted it to. It was kind of hard to go to school the next day. And so those are certainly factors that we're, we're identifying as contributing to school avoidance. The social media piece is really relevant today in that the contact socially really doesn't end when you leave school and go home. So the either whether it's bullying or just sort of that social pressure that our children and adolescents feel now is um, carried with them at home. And so there are things happening that on social media or, you know, texts or um, tweets or posts or whatever about them that, you know, certainly could be a prompting event for them to want to avoid those people the next day. And um, finally, and then I mentioned this a little bit already, but um, substance use. So if I'm if I am in a um, situation where I'm using substances, it's going to, for both that social factor as well as the biological factor, contribute to me not really feeling like getting up and going to school the next day. So those would be um, in that, the social factors. The educational factors are things like a learning disability. Um, if I if I struggle to be in school, I just, I have a hard time being there. I don't really enjoy it. It's hard for me. I don't really understand what I am um, learning, or I certainly notice that I don't understand it to the same rate as my peers. It's going to be hard for me to be there. Um, same with autism spectrum disorders. Again, I'm sort of that, that social piece, certainly in adolescence, becomes more challenging. And um, Students that have ADHD, it's hard to sit still. Think of um, thinking back to like block scheduling, right? I have a 90-minute class and I have to sit and pay attention. And so that it's, it presents a challenging environment. And mental health factors, uh, so certainly anxiety, um, whether it's generalized anxiety disorder, social anxiety disorder, I am anxious about being in school, worried about how I'm doing in school. Um, and depression, certainly. So I'm, I have low mood. It's difficult for me to get going in the morning. I, um, you know, I, I, I'm sort of ambivalent, or I don't really care. I'm a, um, about how, you know, I'm how I'm doing because I just feel um, sad a lot of the time. So, and the final 
um, factor, I guess, kind of takes all three of these into consideration. So if these are sort of risk factors, think about our students who are really suffering from any one of these at the same time. Um, and then and we'll talk about, I think, in a little bit, some of the factors that maintain these behaviors um, of not going to school. Boy, it's a lot, isn't it? So what maintains or contributes to school refusal behaviors? So we talk about when we do parent trainings and even talk to our um, our clients and the kids that we work with, or talk about patterns of reinforcement. Really, we're talking about things that happen in our environment that either maintains a behavior or increases the likelihood that that behavior is going to happen again. So think about the example I gave with bullying. So if I go into the lunchroom at high school and I'm picked on and bullied, that feels awful and terrible. And so the next time I have the opportunity to go to the lunchroom, I avoid the cafeteria. And then that behavior of avoidance of not going is reinforced by the lack of that undesirable stimuli. So in the same way that I'm escaping from social situations that elicit anxiety, I am avoiding something undesirable and thus that avoidance is reinforced. I'm more likely to avoid it. It's kind of, I use the example of the, when you're in your car and you get in your car and you turn on the ignition and then that dinging is going off, right? That dinging is telling you to buckle your seatbelt. If you don't buckle your seatbelt, the dinging is going to continue. And so that's an example of negative reinforcement. I'm alleviating that irritation or in this case of painful stimuli by, um, engaging in a behavior or buckling my seatbelt or avoiding the lunchroom. Um, similarly, there's also positive reinforcement and things that happen that um, actually inadvertently usually encourage my avoidance. So for example, I have a really hard time going to school, maybe because I don't really understand school. It's just not really what I'm good at. And I stay home. And at home, I have video games, Netflix, um, YouTube. And so instead of sitting in a classroom that's kind of boring and full of complex concepts that are hard for me to understand, I get to stay home and hang out on YouTube all day, which is much more rewarding to me. Now, what should educators and parents be aware of when confronting a child refusing to go to school? The same things that we've talked about already. We want to educate our parents and our and the school personnel on this these patterns of reinforcement. We really do want to talk to them about that. And then we talk with parents um, about symptom accommodation. So things, factors that could contribute to them inadvertently rewarding their child for not going to school. One factor that we talk about is parental tolerance for their child's distress and anxiety. So for example, we had talked earlier about a tantrum and how do I, my, you know, my, my kindergarten student or my first grade student is crying, doesn't want to go to school, heartbreaking. I don't, that's awful. And I don't want to see my child in such distress. So I'm going to be more likely to acquiesce with them staying home or making arrangements that just this one time they don't have to go. And unfortunately, it becomes a bit of a slippery slope. And the other um, piece is being building awareness around um, expectations. So we're in, um, I don't know if some people can relate, we're in a bit of a culture of perfectionism or high expectations. I'm thinking about our adolescents who are in high school and 
parents, what parents may be doing that could actually contribute to their child having an overwhelming sense of anxiety about school. So getting into college. And what we know is that a little bit of pressure is great and keeps us motivated. Too much pressure actually will do the opposite and it will actually um, decrease the likelihood that we're going to approach and do things that we need to do. So just parents being aware of um, how much pressure they're putting on their child to perform when they may be prone to some anxiety already. Um, I guess on the other continuum or uh, something that parents need to be aware of is thinking about their follow-through or urgency as it relates to being in school. We can kind of habituate to the chronicity of school refusal. So my child has refused. Maybe they've sort of had poor attendance over the course of a year, and I've I've just sort of accepted it because well, one, parenting is the hardest job on earth, and two, because it's it's I have a full time job myself, or there are other responsibilities that I have, and it's just sort of good enough. And so we just need to be aware that um, being in school is really our children's jobs. It promotes. Um, their own sense of self-efficacy and builds grit and resilience to be able to be in um, the world. And so it's a really important um, factor that we just need to be aware and um, not not sort of give up on the urgency of our kids being in schools. The other factor that we talk about too is alternative and online school options. So our parents will consider these a good solution for children who tend to avoid uh, going to school or um, refuse to go to school. And while this is an an option to have our um, students educated, it also could feed um, students who have anxiety or depression. It could actually feed their um, mental illness. And so if I avoid further, it could only build even more anxiety. And so if I um, avoid going to school, I'm allowed to maybe do online school at my house, I will actually have more anxiety just about being out in the world, being out of my house. And so we just, again, um, it's not a one size fits all. It's just some things that we definitely need to be aware of. Something that schools, we talked with schools about is truancy policies. Now, I said that there's a difference between students who are engaging in school refusal versus who are, you know, chronically truant. I think we just need to work together as um, mental health providers, parents, and schools to make sure that um, there is a truancy policy or that they have the ability to reasonably consequate school refusal. So there is that um, consequence. That being said, we also want to make sure that schools can work together with us to address the mental health needs of our students as well. So those are just some of the things that we want to make sure to highlight on and to help everyone be aware of so we can go together with the most amount of, or go in this together with the most amount of information. Well, it's a lot to chew on, but it's such good information. And we thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Jones. You're welcome. Thank you. 
Rogers Behavioral Health is working each day to ensure those with mental health challenges have access to the highest quality of care and most effective treatment available today. To learn more about the many ways Rogers can help children, teens, families, and schools, please visit rogersbh.org today. That's rogersbh.org. I'm Deborah Hell. Thank you so much for tuning in and have a great day.